0: Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. I got another one. Oh, girl, your body is so insane, making me call your name, girl. Oh, girl. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a rush every single time we touch, girl. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet do. It's good English. Although my heart is falling too, I'm in love with your body. Last night you were in my room and now my bed sheets smell like you. Every day discovering something brand new, I'm in love with your body. I. I'm in love with your body. One more. You! Your sex is on fire. You! Your sex is on fire. There we go. I'm glad I made you all sit through that. Our world is sex crazy. It's everywhere. It's in our songs. It's on our billboards. It's on social media. It's on Netflix. It's even in video games. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, everywhere you look, It's sex, you can't escape it. Now, I think for Christian teenagers, this kind of crazy bombardment of sex from all sides, it usually makes you do one of two things. You might feel deep down that because you're a Christian, you're missing out. The world out there is having fun, your friends are hooking up at parties, they're looking at porn, but they don't have to feel guilty about it, don't have to care what they do with their their boyfriend or girlfriend. Wouldn't it just be easier if you didn't have this Jesus person poking his nose into your business and making you feel guilty about sex. You might feel that you're missing out. Secondly, though, you might be tempted just to kind of hate the fact that you're a sexual person at all, and just get angry. You love Jesus, you really do want to honour God with everything, but it almost seems impossible to control yourself, and you've got these crazy hormones as a teenager running around your body, and you just sometimes might be going, God, why did you make me like this? What were you thinking making me like this? Wouldn't it be easier if we just weren't these crazy teenagers with sex drives and all that kind of stuff? And so tonight we're going to tackle the topic of sex. And there's big stuff in this for all of us tonight, it's a really important topic. As Christians, how are we meant to view sex? How are we meant to think about sex? Is it actually possible to be godly and not have to run away from the world to do that? How are we meant to live in a sex-crazy world? Now, for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, tonight's going to be an interesting night for you as well. It's a really good chance for you to check out Jesus, see what Jesus offers, what He says about life and hold that up against what the world says um, and if, if I do my job right tonight, then you should be able to see that Jesus' way is better but you've got a chance to look at all that. This talk's going to be pretty simple, we're going to look together at what the Bible broadly says about sex in general. And then we're going to spend a bunch of time applying it into a whole bunch of different circumstances for you guys as unmarried teenagers. Uh, It's a big topic. All right, here's the first thing to see tonight, Um, and it's pretty simple. Despite how it may sometimes feel, God made sex for our good. It's a good thing. Do you know what the first command in the Bible was, the very first command have lots of sex. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. It's talking about sex, procreation, making babies, filling the earth. Uh, And in fact, as we heard last week, sex isn't this naughty mistake that kind of bubbled up in God's good creation, you know, he made the world good and then like, awkwardly, this sex thing kind of happened and God was like, oh, what are people doing? That's not how God designed sex. And notice as well that sex is for making children and that's a good thing, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for sex. Sex is a good thing, right? Uh, But it's not just for children, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 3, God commands married people to have lots of sex for their good. 1 Corinthians 7, the husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife, which means have sex and likewise the wife to her husband. God commands Christians to have sex in marriage. Basically, the message is, sex is good, enjoy it, it belongs in every marriage. Helps you to be godly, it's an important part of marriage. And it is for pleasure as well. There's this whole book in the Bible called Song of Songs. I read it yesterday as I was prepping for this sermon, Uh, and it's pretty wild. The whole thing's about sex and about love. Um, But one thing's pretty clear, God didn't just make sex for children to be made, He actually made it because it's pleasurable, it's a good thing, it's to be enjoyed. Uh, As my friend Mike once said, you might remember this, God could have made making children like having a special handshake. You know, a married couple's ready to have a baby and so they kind of have a special handshake and they're like, yep, and then boom, a baby gets made. God could have made anything be the thing that makes children, but He didn't. He gave us sex. It's pleasurable, God did that on purpose. So, sex leads to children, it's enjoyable, it creates intimacy for married people as they connect through sex. Here's the last thing, God commands for our good that sex be saved for the safe place of marriage. this idea is woven into almost anything the Bible says about sex and marriage but here's one verse that makes it clear up on the screen, Hebrews chapter 13 marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, which means save sex only for that married couple. For God will judge the adulterer, which is the person who has sex outside of marriage, and all the sexually immoral. Sex is for marriage and God takes that command seriously and He says that He'll judge us for our sin when we misuse sex. The Bible's word for misusing sex is sexual immorality. And so, how you use sex really does matter. It's an issue of obedience to God. But His commands aren't just random, His commands are actually good for us as well. Now, if you think about what the Bible says about sex and you kind of picture marriage and you imagine this idea of sex with the same person year in, year out for the rest of your life and that sounds really boring to you, that's because you've bought a lie from Hollywood. You've been sold a lie and you've you've bought it. Now, there's actually there's studies about this kind of stuff. There's actually a study that was um, done that actually surveyed people about their sex lives. It surveyed three generations of people, right? So, it, it kind of vaguely surveyed my generation, your generation, depending on how old you are. I use that term loosely. Uh, and it kind of surveyed our parents' generation and it surveyed our grandparents' generation. And so, our generation is pretty much set of sex do whatever makes you happy, have a sex with as many people as you want, or whatever, with whoever, whenever, just enjoy it, just do what you want. Our parents were kind of like 80s, 70s, kind of, you know, kind of like the flirting with the idea of chucking away traditional marriage. And our grandparents' generation, right, these, they, those guys basically held to the, norm, the conventional biblical view of sex and marriage. They believed that sex was for marriage, and, and so that's how most of society operated. So those three generations were surveyed, Guess who reported having the most frequent and satisfying sex? Yeah, old people. Your grandparents. Yeah, your grandparents were onto it. They worked out that sex in marriage with someone that you trust, you spend your life with that person, growing closer in secure, loving commitment with them, is where it's at. And your grandparents had the best sex lives out of all the generations. Sex is made by God for our good. But he's also clear that we're to save that good thing for the context of marriage. That's what the Bible says. Now, for the rest of this talk, we're going to apply this into a whole bunch of different contexts where it's relevant for you guys, right? So we're going to do that. First thing we've got to do is talk about something pretty serious for a second, and it's this. We've got to talk about sexual abuse. Some of you have had horrible things done to you by other people. You didn't choose that. You have the right to be angry. You have the right to be hurt but you don't need to feel guilty before God because of it. You don't. God's not angry at the person whose innocence was stolen by another person. He's angry at the person who did that to you and they'll face God and have to answer to him for it, but you don't need to feel guilty about that. God's not angry with you because of that. Now, if you're someone who's experienced sexual abuse um, and you haven't had the chance to talk to someone you trust about it and get help wherever you can, uh, then you should think about doing that. You need to find someone you trust, that, you, that you're that you willing to talk to, that you're happy to talk to, that might be your parents, uh, it might be someone from here, might be a leader, could, could be me, whoever, when you're ready in your own time, find someone you trust and talk to them about what's happened for you and they might be able to help you in some way. Um, you need to know that They won't be able to keep that secret if it means that people are in danger. You've got to bear that in mind. But I want to encourage you, in your own time, when you're ready, talk to someone. I actually want to stop and I want to pray right now for people who are in that situation. So let's pray. Father God, the brokenness of our world grieves us. And Lord, um, yeah, the pain that some of us have experienced in this area is so great. I want to pray for healing for the people who have gone through sexual abuse. I want to pray that you'd be with them, that you'd comfort them and help them to seek help wherever they can find it. Give them wisdom about who they can trust and and when to do that and I pray that you'd bring healing into their lives. Amen. All right, let's keep going. What about dating? What does the Bible's teaching on sex mean for dating? Uh, How far is too far? It's a classic question that gets asked. Here's what the Bible says about any misuse of sex, up on the screen. But among you, that's Christians, among you Christians, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because, of those, because, of the, because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. How much misuse, how much sexual immorality? None, not even a hint. Sexual morality has no place among God's people. I've got another verse for you, and this verse used to get under my skin big time uh, when I was in the dating world. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, check this out. How should you relate to your, you know, your boyfriend? If they're not your husband, that be your boyfriend, your girlfriend, but they're not your wife. How do you relate? Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute Purity. That's how you should relate to your boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah, now it's challenging. I said earlier that Jesus' way is better. I didn't say it was easier. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, what should your boundaries be? What should the standard be? Absolute purity. Now, guys, you've got to understand that sex, when the Bible says don't have sex outside of marriage, uh, you've got to get that sex is, is a bigger category of thing than just a penis going into a vagina. There's more to sex than that, there's a lot more to sex. Now, I'm not trying to be rude or grosses out or be weird or whatever, but sexual immorality is a broad category and it includes a lot of stuff. It includes any time you're touching each other's private parts. It includes any time you're naked together. It includes hooking up and making out in a sexual way. Um, Yeah, it's a broad category. Here's a helpful way to think about it. If what you're doing with your boyfriend or girlfriend is causing you to become sexually aroused, that's a really good sign you're going too far. It's pretty simple. Um, So let your boundaries be way, way back from what might be too far. So, draw the line a long way back in safety, so that if you do slip up, you're a long way from serious sin. Have you guys seen those yellow lines they paint on train platforms, these ones? Yeah, there you go. Uh, Are you laughing because you just did this in Bible study? That's awesome, good work. Someone must have trained your lead as well. All right, yeah, private joke, doesn't matter. All right, um, look, you got these lines right, and You know, why is that there? That line is there to stop someone from like stepping on the train tracks and getting cleaned up by a train. Now, if they're trying to do that, why don't they draw the yellow line right up against the edge of the platform? Like, if you did find that line and you were like, and put your foot over that yellow line, it's not as if a train's going to come through and just kill you then and there you're going to end up on the train platform or anything like that. They draw the yellow line way back from the edge of the platform so that even if someone does poke their toe over that line, they're still a long way from going too far. Where should you draw the line when dating? The temptation is to draw the line right up on the edge of the platform, right in the danger zone, and so that the moment you poke your toe over it, you get cleaned up. Don't. If you want to obey God, draw the line well back from danger. Give a lot of room for error. Now, maybe that means never kissing before you get married. i got Christian friends who their first ever kiss was on their wedding day. Maybe it means never doing more than a gentle peck and a hug goodnight at the end of the day, and that's as far as you'll go. It, it, sometimes it's going to be obvious when you're sinning, it's going to be really clear because you're naked and cuddling in bed, and it's like, yeah, we're clearly overstepping the line here by a long way. But there's, there's going to be other times where it's going to be really grey, Because it's not obvious like that, and you're going to have to use your brain, you're going to have to know yourselves, and work out where that line should be. And when you're clear on where the line should be, work at sticking to it, care about your sexual purity. Now, what do you do if you've already blown it here? If you feel like you've already gone a long way past where you should have, what do you do? I'd suggest you do the same thing you do with any sin, for starters. Talk to God about it. Repent, confess your sin to Him and know that in Jesus you're forgiven because you are and ask for God's strength to change you and grow you. Talk. Secondly, talk to your boyfriend or your girlfriend about it. You've got to have an honest conversation with them about what's really going on for you and that's going to be hard because you're going to feel like that closeness, that physical closeness that you value, it's going to feel under threat. But who matters more, your, your boyfriend or Jesus. So, talk to them about it. Don't leave leave this undealt with. And if you find that when you go to talk to your boyfriend or your girlfriend about this, they don't want to have this conversation, they don't like where it's headed, then maybe they don't love you as much as they say they do. Because what's really loving is to care about someone's relationship with God, not just using them for pleasure for yourself. So you've got the kind of boyfriend or girlfriend who doesn't want to talk about this stuff because they don't want to have to change. You've got the wrong type of boyfriend or girlfriend. Third, talk to someone outside of that relationship and ask them for help as well. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend makes a lousy accountability partner. Now, do you think we're kissing too much? No, I reckon Jesus is pretty happy with the amount of kissing. If anything, you could go for more, I reckon. You know, your boyfriend or girlfriend is a lousy accountability partner. So break the pattern of secrecy and tell someone outside the relationship. And here's the fourth one. This is hard. I don't want to challenge you with this. Change or break up? Work at seeing change in your relationship, work at seeing progress, work at, at growing and, and becoming better at self-control and honouring God in your relationship. But if you find you can't control yourself no matter what you do and what you put in place, then break up. Most of you are a long way from getting married And so, you could either hang about in this relationship that's causing you to habitually and repeatedly fall in sin, you could hang out there for years and wait and hope it gets better even though it's not, or you can take action and break up. Jesus says in Matthew 5, it's better to chop off your hand than to go to hell with two healthy hands. Now, he's talking figuratively, figuratively, not literally, don't chop up your boyfriend or your girlfriend, right? Um... But he's saying, it's, it's worthwhile doing serious stuff for the sake of fighting sin. It matters. So take sin seriously. Alright, next thing, pornography and masturbation. This is a crazy talk, right? Pornography and masturbation. This is a battle that takes place in what we look at and what we think and so on in our minds and what we, what we see with our eyes, what we allow ourselves to see. I can sometimes, this can feel... Less important to us. Like it's kind of like, yeah, this is kind of important, but let's cut kind ourselves of some slack. Jesus doesn't see it that way. Look at what Jesus says, Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. Now, adultery isn't being an adult, okay? It's sex outside of marriage. And he says, don't, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman, or a man, if you're a girl, or whatever, anyone who looks at someone lustfully has already committed adultery had sex with her in his heart. What we do in our hearts, what we think in our heads, matters. What we look at on our phone screens, matters. What we think about our friends at school, at youth, it matters. It matters deeply to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, pornography is a huge problem. It's everywhere and... To me at least, it just seems like every second person is stuck in this terrible sin, and so much so that it just starts to feel normal. Oh yeah, pornography, that's just like a teenage thing, right? It's not. It's not. I am deeply genuinely concerned for your generation as you guys grow up. This the last twenty-five years of human history are like a terrible experiment gone wrong. Let's see if we can really mess up a the human race. That's what pornography looks like to me. 25 years ago, if someone wanted to look at porn and, you know, they were your age, it involved like an elaborate disguise and a fake ID and a weird trip to the video store. I don't know, something like that, right? Now, porn is at your fingertips in every household, in every room, on every screen. It's everywhere and it's messing people up. Pornography is a twisted, broken parody of God's good gift of sex. It's a lie, it's not real and it's sin against our God. It's a terrible thing and it messes you up, it messes you up here and now. It's addictive. If you don't believe me, try and stop. See how hard that is. Over time, it's actually been shown that porn. Rewires how your brain thinks about people and how you, how you act. It actually has a physiological effect on you and it changes your brain and so it becomes a compulsive habit. I talk to people, right, who have been addicted to porn for years, so much so that the moment they get the opportunity to look at it, even if they've been away for it for quite a while... It's almost as if their brain's go into autopilot and they find themselves just going off and, and looking at it without even thinking about it and I'm like, like, what's going on for you? Why does that happen? And they can't even answer, that their, their brains have been changed by it. Now, the science also says that that can reverse over time and you can recover but it is serious. Pornography's linked to sexual violence, strongly linked to sexual violence. That doesn't mean that anyone who looks at porn is going to go and try and rape someone. It doesn't mean that. But all the people out there who are committing sex crimes and assaulting people, they are almost always heavy porn users. It messes with the way people see other humans. It messes with how people see sex. I talk to lots of young guys as they head toward marriage. They're about to get married. I'm doing a thing called pre-marriage counselling with lots and lots of people. And what I've found over the last bunch of years is I'm meeting more and more young men and women, but I'm talking to guys in my context, who are headed toward marriage and their view of sex is just trashed because of porn. They can't think rightly about this good thing, sex, because porn has messed them up. I've seen porn ruin the marriages of friends. People are divorced now because they couldn't sort out their addiction with porn it's a serious thing. Brothers and sisters, run the other way from pornography. Head for the hills. Now, what does this mean for masturbation as well? It goes alongside porn. This is a tricky one and I always wrestle with how to talk about this and what to say and how to say it and afterwards there's always someone who comes and talks to me and tells me they disagree with me and that's okay, you can come and tell me you disagree with me later on tonight, that's that's standard. Um, Here's what I've got to say: the Bible's just strangely quiet, silent on the topic of masturbation. It says a lot of pretty specific stuff about what we should and shouldn't do with sex. Doesn't really say anything about masturbation. And so I think what that means is the act of masturbation, in and of itself, isn't sinful. I think the Bible just doesn't say that's the case. But the problem with masturbation is it is almost always, maybe sometimes not, but almost always linked to sexually immoral thoughts and even pornography. And so I think my advice, this is my advice, not the teaching of the Bible, but my advice would be, be very, very careful with masturbation. Um, maybe Maybe don't go there at all. If you do, be very careful, at least limit it. But whatever you do, be clear that if you're sinning in this area, it's tied to what you're thinking and what you're looking at, not necessarily the act itself, because the Bible doesn't talk so much about that. So be clear-minded and be careful. Now, what do you, feel, what do, you do if you feel like you already are stuck in an addiction to pornography? There's a whole bunch of really helpful stuff that could be said, but I just don't have time to say it now, so I'm not going to. I'll simply say this. Start by breaking that pattern of secrecy. Start by breaking the cycle of secrecy. Talk to someone here tonight who you trust, who you feel like you can open up to and that they're not going to go and embarrass you or whatever. I hope that's none of you, really. But talk to someone you trust and, and, and tell them what's going on and ask them for help. And I've got, I got to say as well, this is not a guy thing, okay? Porn is not a guy problem and that's just normal and if you're a girl, you're a freak. for No, no, that's not it at all. This is a problem for girls and guys, so you've got to get rid of that myth. Talk to someone tonight if you need to. Take a risk, it's worth it. Open up. I feel like we've run a bit of a marathon through a bunch of awkward subjects, but there you go, we're almost done. Guys, God's Word cuts pretty deeply on the issue of sex, doesn't it? My guess is for many of you, you're feeling pretty weighed down with guilt. You already thought you were a bit of a stuff up, and this kind of just makes it official. I've got one more thing to say tonight, and it's by far the most important thing you could ever hear. And so here it is Run to the cross, remember Jesus' grace. I'll ask you two questions. Number one, how do you see yourself? And number two, how do you think God sees you? Do you see yourself as a sinner? Are you weighed down with your guilt? The Bible treats sin pretty seriously. Look at this verse up on the screen, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. How do you see yourself when you think about who you are? My guess is we can all find ourselves on that list somewhere, probably for something to do with how we've stuffed it when it comes to sex. How do you see yourself? I'm the porn addict. I'm that girl who drank too much at a party and now I'm not a virgin anymore. I'm that guy who can't control himself when he's with his girlfriend. How does God see you? When he looks at you, if you're in Jesus, if you're a Christian, how does he see you? Look at the next verse. That is what some of you were. That list of stuff, that's, that was your identity before, but you were washed. You were sanctified, made clean. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. How does God see you? If you're a Christian, the answer is He looks at you and He sees Jesus's holiness. He sees Jesus's perfect, spotless, clean, untainted life. That's what God sees when He looks at you because Jesus stood in your place, He swapped places with you and so that record of sin has been washed away. That's what God sees when He looks at you. Guys, when you feel the weight of your sin, when you feel almost crushed by your guilt, flee to the cross. Remember God's grace. Remember who you are in Christ now. It's the best news in the world.